Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This Podcast with me, Father John Ricardo. I'm your host. I'm the executive director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming parishes. I'm here, as always, with my co-hosts and uh, teammates, Nick and Mary. How are you guys doing? Great. Always happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, doing great today, Father John. Nick, what's our topic? Today's topic is response. What should you give to someone who rescues you from death? But before we talk about that, Father John, will you open us, as you always do, in prayer? Yeah, Father, we just uh, ask, most especially in these days that we find ourselves living in right now, days that you've destined us to be alive in, that uh, you would keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, most especially on his passion, uh, on the love that he's displayed for us on the cross, uh, on the hope that we have because of all that he's accomplished for us in uh, binding the powers of sin and death. Lord, give to all those who are listening right now who find themselves racked with anxiety or fear because of what's going on, the unshakable confidence that comes from knowing you are our Father and our lives and our world are in your hands. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father. Yeah, that prayer is so fitting right now because it is uh, March 12th as we record this, and there's a lot going on. Um, but today's topic is talking about our response to Jesus Christ, and we're in the middle of a, really, it's, it's four parts, but five episode series on the gospel. So part one was created, part two was captured, part three is rescued, and part four is response. So if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, we'd encourage you to go back and listen to that first one, Uncreated, to really be able to get all these episodes uh, to get in... in um, an orderly fashion, because it helps us to respond to what it is Jesus has done for us. Yeah, and that's especially true, if I can say, Nick, right now, because um, so many people live their lives almost like the the pagans did at the time of Jesus, meaning their religious practices were attempts to appease the gods, who are these arbitrary figures. But the Christian life is not an attempt to appease God. The Christian life only makes sense as a response to what God has done for us, right? And and maybe especially given what's going on right now in the culture, you just alluded, it's March 12th. Who knows what's going to happen by the time this gets posted with this crazy coronavirus? Um, people might think this is a total non sequitur. It's not at all. This is the most appropriate time to be talking about this because as Christians, we don't just respond to God when things are well. Right. Uh, we mm-hmm. respond to God all the time, right? And so uh, if anybody's out there thinking, Man, don't they read the news? Uh, we're very aware of what's going on in the news. In fact, we got another podcast that's going to be uh, pushed out that we'll record later today, and hopefully you can check that out with regards to our response to what's going on and what God might be asking of us. But right, right. now, we want to zero in on just one element of the response in particular, right, Nick? Yes, that's correct. We want to really focus on our personal response, and we're going to do that by breaking this into three things. We're talking about praise and thanksgiving, our surrender and a new orientation to life. And Father John, you have a great image to really kind of start to open this up. Yeah, well, I think in movies all the time, I, uh, I just find movies to be a, a, like modern parables, and I've always been enamored with Saving Private Ryan, which uh, is a, a flashback. The whole movie is a flashback of a man uh, being rescued uh, as he's in the middle of World War II. His brothers have all been killed. And so this rescue mission goes out led by a guy named Captain Miller, who's played by Tom Hanks, rather ironically right now, given the news that he's just been diagnosed with the coronavirus, right? So Hanks leads these uh, troops out in a rescue mission to find um, Private Ryan. They find him, and they most of them die in the process of Private Ryan being rescued. And so the very ending of the movie is 
Now old Private Ryan standing at the grave of Captain Miller, the man who saved his life, and his grave is, um, the, the headstone is a cross. And so the movie ends with this man talking to a cross. And he says to the cross every day, I've thought about what you said to me that day on the bridge, which is this pivotal scene in the movie where mm. um, Captain Miller is pleading with him to make something of his life in response to what it is that they've done to save him. And the reason I love that scene is that's supposed to be the Christian's life. Like, I'm supposed to spend every day beginning by looking at the cross or start every day looking at the cross saying, Lord, again, I want to call to mind what you've done for me, and now I want to live my life in response to it, right? Right. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I'm thinking about the crucifixes that we often have in our homes and how casual how casual we become as we walk past them. I had a friend of mine challenge a set of us once never to pass by a crucifix without venerating it and remembering what the one who's on that crucifix has done for us. But we start to take all of that for granted. Yeah, we do. It's tragic, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable um, how easy it is to become numb to those things sometimes. But uh, I think I think St. Thomas Aquinas who says man's made for worship, right? We're made for worship, but we're not all necessarily worshiping God. So, But we are still worshiping something or someone. Father John, will you define worship for us? Yeah, so we want to start right away, right, by looking at... Uh, this first response, praise and thanksgiving. And just like you said, Nick, I think it, I think it is Aquinas. I'm not a Thomistic scholar, but uh, I think he argues that everybody, man is made for worship and everybody's worshiping something or someone, which means what? It means to show reverence or adoration to the thing or to the person. The, the challenge is uh, lots of people aren't worshiping God right now. We're showing reverence and adoration to all sorts of things mm-hmm. and all sorts of people uh, and there's lots, there's lots of them out there, right? I mean, the almighty dollar and our wealth, our nest egg, which is getting hit right now as we speak, right? right. As the market continues to tumble. Um, we we worship, worship power, status, titles, um, degrees, you know, the honors that we've earned. Uh, what other things do we worship? I think we can worship our bodies. Uh, we can worship our very self. We can worship politicians and celebrities and... You know, Father, you and I were just on a plane coming back from Omaha, Nebraska, where we were doing a set of things out there. And because you sit literally on top of one another in a plane, we could easily overhear a conversation that was taking place behind us. You want to you talk about that? Yeah, it was that? a young girl who's in college and a, a gentleman who was flying back to the East Coast. Great folks, I'm sure. But it was just interesting to eavesdrop on us. They were talking. Most of their conversations centered around two things, politics and sports. And those are important things, right? I mean, like, politics is really important because it's how we govern this world that God has given to us. Um, And sports is is a helpful diversion uh, and actually um, a great image of heaven oftentimes. It's something that you do for its own sake. You know, we can make it a God to be sure. But it was interesting in this conversation that uh, we just found ourselves kind of looking at each other, almost laughing and shaking our heads at times because they were speaking about either political figures or about athletic figures and athletic accomplishments as if they were talking about God. Mm-hmm. Hmm. E- either meaning just tremendous adulation and reverence and hope being placed in mm-hmm. things or almost um, just idolizing uh, either the game or an activity or a person. And those things just don't fit there. Uh, as important as they can be in our daily lives and in the in the life of the world. Yeah, it makes me think of LeBron James. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that name, 
is probably more widely known right now in America than the name of Jesus Christ. Could very well be. Right? I mean, or, or, or recently, like Kobe Bryant, you know, his passing. I mean, you know, uh, th- you think about athletic names, like so, you know, these celebrity athletes, right. and their names are probably more widely known than Jesus. Uh, if you and really want to are... see worship, sorry, Mary, I didn't mean to cut you off, but if you want to see worship, go to a football game on a Saturday afternoon in the college town. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, you'll see, it, it's why I can't go to uh, live sporting events anymore. I, I just find it to be so incredibly convicting, because I see all these people standing and screaming and cheering and pouring their lives and their hopes into a game, and they lose their voices, and the next day, if they're even at church, many of them never open their mouths. Hmm. And so we're rendering to men that which only properly belongs to God. I felt like I heard the Lord say one time after a... uh, it was a Sunday morning, I think, after a, a particularly spectacular play in a college football game that I don't even remember. And, you know, sports center was just going on and on and on about how great this was. And I was pr- praying that morning, and I felt like I, lo- I heard Jesus just say, where is my glory? Hmm. Like, why is no one talking about me? I took on Satan. I took on death. I took on hell. I took on sin. I routed them all. I've given you hope. Where is my glory? Why is no one talking about me? And giving to me what we are giving to men who've provided entertainment for us and a distraction which makes no real difference in our lives. And yet he has provided our very breath that allows us to be at a lot of these events. But, but you know, if the truth be told, I mean, that we're just not talking about cultural idols. This happens within the church, too, both inside the mm. Catholic Church and outside the Catholic Church, right? So we can, we can have a disordered worship of, of religious figures. And so whether they're bishops or priests, I mean, I, I remember when the scandal was first starting to break and uh, there were a lot of conversations happening both in ministry and outside of ministry and in family. Um, why are you still going to church? And I said, I, I don't worship a priest or a bishop. I didn't fall in love with the bishop. I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Right, and so so even that disorder can kind of seep into into the faith oh, world too, right? Guys? I, I couldn't agree more, Mary. I think it, it, maybe it's uh, if if worship sounds too strong for some people, they're idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. We can mm-hmm. idolize mm-hmm. all sorts of people, and an idol is anything or anyone I put my hope in other than God. There is no hope in anyone but God. I mean, none. Right? Hope's a theological virtue. It rests on what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. And, and even when, you know, when, when we disappoint one another, which we're not supposed to intentionally do by any means, but even when we do, like God uses that right. as a way to go, hey, take your eyes off of people, put them back, back on, on me, because I don't disappoint and I'm always faithful. That's right. Yeah, so the question we should be asking ourselves is, are these things, you know, politics, the body, power, money, are these things worthy of our adoration? And I think the answer is pretty self-evident in this conversation. Yeah, maybe even the better question is, how much more worthy is God of my reverence and my adoration? And that's why we did all that we did leading into today. That's why we think it's so important to get back to basics, to tell people the story, because so many people don't know what God has done. And because they don't know, they don't give to him what it is that he uh, and he alone truly deserves, right? Think of think of that little part in Mass, you know, when I say the Lord be with you, and you go... And with your, with, spirit. with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, and you say... It is right and just. Yeah, and then the priest comes right back with, it is indeed, or it is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, 
to give you thanks. What worship's really about is a matter of justice. So we're, we're a culture that's enamored with justice, right? What, is, what does justice mean? Justice means to give to somebody what they are due. Well, nobody, I mean nobody, is due our worship but God. You know, we talk a lot about mission around here, but as important as mission is, we do mission, quite frankly, because everyone is not worshiping mm. God. And by the time, you know, we get to heaven, blessed be God, there's no more need to do mission, that's right. right? And that's all we will be doing in heaven is worshiping the living God. Or at least it's one of the primary things we're going to be doing in heaven, right? Which probably sounds like immediately boring to lots of people like, oh, I bet you what we're going to do. Oh, dull. But then take yourself back to that sporting event and how captivating that was and how engaging that was. And that's, that's why I think sports is a great image for a lot of people, especially a lot of men. It helps you understand how I can be focused on something and so enthralled by it and it's anything but dull. And uh, oftentimes, uh, I've seen a lot of great uh, spiritual writers just talk about why sports can be such a powerful image for what we'll be doing in heaven. You lose yourself. Yeah, exactly. Do you ever find like you're at a concert, and it's like they've been playing for an hour and a half, and you look at your clock and you go, oh my gosh, it's all over. An hour and a half flew because you lost yourself in the music. Imagine the glory of losing yourself in worshiping the eternal God. Yeah, I was at the Final Four in Atlanta when Michigan uh, won. They lost to Louisville in the championship, but I was there for the Syracuse game. And I mean, the game is ending. The clock is counting down. I am in euphoria, right? I mean, <laughs> people are throwing, you know, uh, seat cushions up in the air, and everybody's hugging each other. And I'm thinking, this is amazing, right? Like, this is this is just a foretaste of heaven. I felt like the Lord showed me that right away. Like, this is a game, John. Imagine what it's like in heaven when what's been defeated is not like some other team, but what's been defeated is death, <laughs> you know? And, and that's, uh, you know, we, we talk often about uh, how uh, flowing right from worship, right, is, is praise mm. and thanksgiving, and, and that's the image all throughout the scriptures. You know, think of uh, the Israelites as they go through the Red Sea, right? So they've been chased by the most powerful army in the world, the Egyptians. They drowned, and out comes the Israelites suddenly freed from 430 years of slavery, and the first thing they do is they thank God and praise God. Miriam's got her tambourine. She's busting it out. Moses is leading people and singing, right? First worship band. Um, That's right. You know, the Psalms over and over again are saying, you know, like, I will extol you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever. You know, great is the Lord, highly to be praised. So we worship God for who he is, we praise and we thank him for what he's done. That distinction right? is so helpful, right? Yeah. And so oftentimes, well, oftentimes we, we do neither. <laughs> we neither worship nor we thank him. Often when we pray, we just talk to him and tell him our needs. Um, but yeah, make sure that we spend some time worshiping God every day and thanking God. I know for myself, I feel like uh, worship for me is something like vegetables. Like I, I, I realize in my body when I'm not eating enough greens and then I put greens in me and I feel like and I'm just starting to get strong. You know, I can feel my blood's getting purified or whatever's going on. I don't know. But when I, when I don't worship God for a period of time, I feel like same thing. My soul, my spirit's getting weak. Mm. And then when I begin to worship God, it's like, oh, I'm just coming alive again. Mm. And tragically, I don't think many people have ever really experienced that. Yeah, I'd agree. Make sure you eat your vegetables. Yeah, eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Bust out the tambourine. <laughs> 
I, I remember reading a little bit about prayer about a year and a half ago, and this uh, uh, the writer said something like, you know, um, worship and praise is not an appetizer on the front end of the prayer that you're moving into. But mm. it, it should be central mm. to our prayer. And, and we see that oftentimes for those of you who pray uh, the office of readings. What are the first words as you start to pray the office of readings? It's, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. Mm. And then you move right into Psalm 95, which is a call to worship. Right. And it's a call to obedience. It's just a beautiful way to start your day. Yeah, my mom had a book. It wasn't that great a book, but it was a great title called Gratitude is the Heart of Prayer. Mm. And uh, yeah, those are, that's a fitting response. But it's not the only response, no, right? There's, there's more responses. Like what, Nick? Surrender. Mm. Yeah. Father John, will you just start to open that up for us? What, like, well, what think back like? to what we began when we began this series. We, we, we quoted uh, Pope John Paul II in his uh, letter on catechesis. And he says, he reminded us just as we began that the result of the proclamation of the gospel, what we've been unpacking as created, captured, rescued in response, is supposed to be what he says uh, the person is overwhelmed to the point where they make a decision to surrender themselves to Jesus in faith. And, and Pope Benedict, you know, we, we quote this line all the time, that people see it in the church, blogs, all that, you know, that the Christian life is not a... It's not a result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but rather the encounter with an event and a person who gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Boy, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Yeah, which again, we're doing this because we find again and again that people haven't had the encounter because they don't know what God has done for us in Jesus. And so we're just going back to that pagan practice of, okay, God's up there. He's probably waiting to drop the anvil on me the moment I screw up, so I'm going to try to appease him. But that, that ain't the Christian life. No, appeasement, is, it doesn't get us anywhere. It's not, that's not the proper response. It's Right, so if you've met the Lord, you know... You, all of us should ask ourselves, if I have met him, and he clearly has done something, if he clearly has rescued us, what should be our response? Chuck Colson, one of my favorite evangelical Christians, and he was the founder of Prison Fellowship, one of the many books he wrote uh, was, How Now Shall We Live? Hmm. And I've always so appreciated that title because it implies that something's required when we're confronted with what Jesus has done for us. So he saves you. He's rescued you from everything. You're here because of what he's done. What do you owe him? How now shall I live? Well, I think I should live for you. Right, just like that man in Saving Private Ryan, right? Right. Every day I've thought about what you said to me. So one of the easiest ways to think about surrender, right? Surrender is faith. So we, we say often around here, you know, the church is really good at throwing words around. We presume people know what we mean, but I'm not really sure. And so the misconception of faith is, is what? That it's simply an intellectual proposition. Like, God's real. Meaning what? God exists. So what? So does evil. That's, not, that's just not what faith is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so much more than this intellectual consent. Right. The devil knows God is real, right? Yeah, faith is not that. Faith is... Faith is um, the submission of my will, my intellect, my entire being to God. I mean, I, I heard a guy say one time, you know, to believe in God, to have faith, is to lean so far over on God that if he wasn't there, you'd fall down. <laughs> like, that's faith. That's a wholehearted response. It's not just, oh, I think there's a God. That ain't faith, right? And um, Francis Martin, Father Francis Martin, he's passed away now. We talk about him often. Uh, he was a great mentor for me. He used to always say, faith is 
um, God's work in me to which I respond. That's so, such a brief description, too. It's so easy to it's so easy to remember, Father. I remember when we were at the parish, we actually had T-shirts made. <laughs> we wore, right. Do you remember those? That's we wore right. those. Such a great like. God I think faith. I can remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. And God's, even now, I would, I would say to the kids, "What's faith? Faith is God's work in me to which I respond." Like that's faith, right? The initiative's God, but it begs a response. Like, it, well, like what do you? Again, that's the reason of the topic of the podcast, right? What do you give to somebody who saves you from death? Absolutely. I mean, and, and if it's, if you have merely like intellectual consent, that's not going to carry you through hard times. Are you kidding? Just having God, that sort of God exists knowledge. I mean, coronavirus comes, I mean, I'm going to come, I'm going to come off my moorings, right? That's like, right. I have to be leaning so far. That if Market crashes. All over. Exactly. You can, you have two choices, panic or perfect love. What are you going to press into? That's right. And when, when the storms come, we're going to press into that perfect love. And this is all summed up by the cry of Jesus on the cross, right? He says, I thirst. Mm. I thirst. Yeah, what is he thirsting, thirsting for? for? Faith. Faith, right? Yeah. Our faith. Yours, mine. He's looking for a response from, from, from us, right? So the, the third part of the personal response, or at least the third thing we've really felt like we wanted to highlight is much like Benedict says in that quote, so it gives a totally new direction to my life. And so the first response is I want to praise and worship and thank God. Then I want to, I want to surrender to him. And now I want to make a very concrete decision to live the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5 is because of Jesus who's died for all, I want to live now no longer for myself, but for him. You know, Paul, again, in, in Galatians, you know, it's still I who live you know, but I live my life in faith in the one who, you know, died and rose again for me, right? Right. So back to Private Ryan, right? Like, so right after he says, you know, every day I've thought about those words that you said to me on the bridge, it's, it, the scene just keeps getting better, Nick, right? Yeah, I mean, he goes on to say, I've tried to live my life every day the best I could. I hope that it is enough that he goes on to say this part right here. I hope, at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. But the reality is, we don't earn his love. Right, that's right. the striking difference in this movie. Powerful exactly. image, right? Always think about the cross. Big distinction. Uh, I'm not earning the cross. A lot of people are trying to earn God's love. If you're trying to do that right now, like, just stop. You don't have to. There's Trace nothing you can do to make God love you more. He loved, Paul says he loved us when we were his enemies, how much more now that we've been reconciled to him by the blood of his cross can we come before him with confidence, right? Mm. right? So you don't have to earn it. I know myself as a priest still many times I'm living my life in such a way like I'm trying to amass this, you know, this, uh, this life that's pleasing to God and then present it to the Father and go, okay, am I good enough now? Do I measure up? Will you, will you accept me? And I have to battle this all the time in my life. And God just keeps saying, you know, son, <laughs> I loved you before... I even made you. That's why I did what I did. Yeah, exactly. Stop, yeah. stop trying. One of my favorite uh, lines in describing God's love is, he loves me despite me. Mm. Not in spite of, to be clear, okay, if you're right. listening. Right. He loves me despite me. Right. And that's just, just that's the best kind of love. But Father John, you have, a, you have a friend who's a judge. Well, it's a guy we met in Iowa. It's a, it's a helpful story, I think, because so once you get past the, okay, like I think I'm going to live my life for God now, uh, what does that practically look like? And this is a huge part of our ministry here, like, um, we want to try to help people understand that the mission of the Christian is not to escape this world and get to heaven, 
a lot of people live that way, right? But the king is coming back here. This is all rightfully his, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Our task is to, you know, remember that, uh, please don't ever sing this song, you know, let us build the city of God. You can't build the city <laughs> of God. Um, but I think it's N.T. Wright who says, you can't build the kingdom, but you can what, Mary? You can build for yeah, the kingdom. Yeah, build for the kingdom. And so the, the practical question is, well, how do I do that, right? How am I supposed to surrender my life to God, and now have a radical new orientation and transform every area that I'm in. So Mary and I were in Iowa. We were doing this series, Created, Captured, Rescued, Response. A judge came up to me afterwards, and he just says, what does this look like in my life? Mm. I'm, a, I'm a secular figure. I can't, I have to be very prudent in what I can and cannot say. How do I, how do I transform my sphere of influence in a way that's in keeping with the gospel? I mean, how do I bring the judicial system into conformity with the Father's plan. That's the task. That's our mission, is to bring everything we can into conformity with the Father's plan. And because there's lots of people who don't want the Father's plan, this is going to create conflict. We know that. So the guy looks at me and he says, ah, maybe what I can do. This is brilliant. He says, you know, he's, he's obviously doing some serious sentencing. He's got, you know, murders and rapists and whatnot. And he says, maybe what I can do as I can look at somebody who's done something seriously wrong, who's going to go away to prison for some time. And because I'm the person of authority speaking there, I'm an image of God for that person. And so I can say to him something like, you know, because of what you've done, there are consequences for that. And that's why you are going to have to go to prison now. But I want you to hear me tell you that these actions that you've committed, they don't define who you are as a man or as a woman. And while you have consequences and you're going to have to pay for those now, you can still be great and you can make something of your life. Don't, you know, he didn't use these words, but Mm -hmm. don't fall prey to the lies of the enemy that you're damaged goods. That's a great story of how somebody in that area of life has taken something back for God or he's trying to, to kind of bring it back into conformity with how God wants the judicial system to work as opposed to, you know, the corrupt system that we often see, right? Right, and you can do that as a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, a a physician. Oftentimes when, when we're overwhelmed by the gospel and all God has done for us, we think we have to go somewhere. Like, we've got to go somewhere into mission territory. I don't have to go to Africa? Yeah, that's the good news. You don't have to go to China to do mission. You can sanctify your own space. I remember Mother Teresa was keen to say, find your own Calcutta. And if the truth be told, mm. your Calcutta and my Calcutta is in our own backyard. That's where God wants to use us. That, that old line, you know, bloom where you are planted. Like, let God use you right where you are. That's exactly right. I mean, if you're, if you're hearing this, just start asking the Holy Spirit that question. I mean, it's great to, it's great to do prayers of intercession. It's, it's great to tell God your petitions, but to really turn to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, show me how you want to sanctify, how you want me to recreate this world I'm, this world I'm living in, this place you've called me to, in the construction world, as a judge, as a police officer, right, as a, as a mom or a dad, you don't, you don't have to leave that spot you're in to do God's work. You can start doing it right now, and that is, that is the true and right response to the King. Amen. C.S. Lewis, right? We we talk about this often when we're out. There's this great quote in Mere Christianity where he says, you know, Christianity is the story of how the rightful King is landed, landed in disguise. He says, you might say, that's the process of. God becoming man in Jesus. 
um, and reclaimed everything. And our task now until he returns in glory, I love this image, is we're supposed to be agents of sabotage. (laughs) So we're supposed to be uh, asking the Holy Spirit to help us cooperate with him, use those gifts, both spiritual and natural, that he's uh, deposited in us so as to, if you will, blow up the enemy's kingdom. Now, let's be clear, we're not talking about violence. We're talking about by using the weapons of the gospel, truth and goodness and beauty and charity and forgiveness and all of those things, compassion. Um, It's just a beautiful image to me. And, And it's how the early church grew, right? The early church grew despite the fact that for 250 years it was an illegal superstition in the Roman Empire, The Roman Empire grew by violence, by the power of the legion, by the sword, by weapons. The early church grew by the witness of the lives of the early Christians. Times like this, viruses came, plagues came, everybody ran away from the city, the Christians ran in. And scripture right. tells us they turned the world upside down. Yeah, beautiful image. Right? So it looks right now like, like the world is upside down the wrong way. We have a great opportunity to make things right where we are. Absolutely. We have such a fantastic opportunity as Christians to live in that response, to stay in that place of, Father, show me what you're doing right now in front of me. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, give me your vision and your insight. Because regardless of what it looks like out there, we're not, we are not in a bad place. We're in the Father's hands. That's right. So what can we practically do with all of this? Yeah, well, I mean, we don't want to be exhaustive, but a couple things come quickly to mind, right? Is especially uh, it's the season of Lent right now for many of us. And so one of the things you might want to do is, here, here's an exercise. Try today in your prayer to only, only praise, thank, and adore God. Like just forego all the intercession. Most people's prayers... I know for me when I was younger, and even today still, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by how much of my prayer can be intercession and petition. Um, I remember uh, somebody saying once, like, the, the goal of prayer can't possibly be the exchange or the communication of information. Like, God knows everything. Like, sometimes when I'm praying for people, God goes, yeah, yeah, I know that. You know, like, like, tell me something I don't know. You're know, like, yeah, I know that too, John. You know, yep, I know that. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get to the. So maybe today, practically, just praise him. Just adore him. Just thank him. If you don't know how to do that, open up the Psalms. The Psalms are a tremendous way. You know, someone said, I think it's Augustine or Anselm or Ambrose or one of the early fathers that began with an A. He says, um, much like a mom or a dad, both of you get this as parents, has to teach a child how to talk. So God has to teach us how to pray. And the Psalms is his prayer book. Mm-hmm. And he says, come here, son, sit down with me. Let me, teach you how to, let me teach you how to worship. And so just open up the Psalms and let him pray. If you don't know where to look, because there's 150 of them, start with, say, Psalm 145 or Psalm 103 or Psalm 16. They're beautiful prayers of just praising and thanking God, huh? Um, you know, something else that, that, that comes to mind that might be helpful is as you move into prayer, ask the Lord to reveal to you what it is or who it is you're worshiping hmm. right now. What are the idols in my right, life? Right, right. Unfortunately, that's one of those prayers that when I utter, he's like so quick to answer. And I'm like, whoa, stop, stop talking. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I can only- like, when I pray, I never hear God. It's like, boy, if you want to hear God, ask him, Lord, show me my faults or mm-hmm. show me my idols. And right. then it's like, stop talking. I got, I got enough information, right? Right. Um, so yeah. And then we, we also encourage people to pray. We often pray here after mass. It's the angel's prayer, right? The prayer that the angels taught the children in Fatima. Mary, yeah. how's that go? Yeah, that was so beautiful. 
uh, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. And I ask forgiveness for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and who do not love you. And we, we repeat that three times. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple prayer and can be so efficacious, right, Father? Yeah, and I find, you know, what the angels were teaching the children and they're teaching us is there's something about us um, not only expressing to God our own faith, our own worship, our own adoration, but also standing there on behalf of those who don't do it, Mm. right? So, Lord, for all those that I know who don't adore you, for all those in the world right now who just walk by a crucifix, who never paid any attention, I won't. I will stop in front of the cross and I will thank you and I will adore you and I will love you not only for myself, but for those oh, living in the world right now who don't. All right, so much more we can do, but uh, this is the challenge that we're finding ourselves living in right now. God is asking us to turn our eyes upwards towards the cross to see what Jesus has accomplished for us, uh, to thank him, to praise him, to go out to make a difference in the world in which we live right now, especially right now with all that's happening in the world. We just want to implore you, do not be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this. 